Welcome to this admittedly a little glitchy episode of the Octopi Podcast. Sorry. Today, Paul and Matt are going to talk about self-management and self-organization. Is there a difference? What is each one? And how can you get started if you want to try? All that and more next. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Octopi Podcast. I am joined today with Paul Walker. Paul, say hello. Hello, everybody. A little bit of background on Paul. So Paul and I have known each other for probably close to a decade now. Paul, what did you say? Did we meet you late 2010 or 2011 when you and I first met? We worked together and both have done a lot of uh, work, both in that company. It was when we both worked at Zappos.com and both you and I were on the Holacracy team where you led the implementation of Holacracy in many ways and self-management as a whole and self-organization as a whole at Zappos. And I know that since then, you've, since you left Zappos, you've actually been doing a lot of this work on your own. And I've been doing a little bit as well. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, first of all, you and I are very familiar with the subject matter, right? Self-management, self-organization. I don't think there's a lot of people out there. I think there's a growing number, but not as many as maybe we would like to see who know what those terms mean when we say them. So do you mind just for people who are listening, who have no idea what self-management and self-organization is, what would you say is like the kind of simplest definition of those? And is there a difference between the two? Uh, Great question. This comes up all the time. I don't think there is a right answer. I think it's mostly preference in terms of the difference between self-management, self-organization. There was a time in my career where I defined them as two completely separate things, but there were so few instances that they didn't completely overlap that all it did was add complication. And I've heard slightly different explanations from kind of everyone in the field, completely interchangeable, basically the same thing. And it's just this idea of understanding what's expected of you and having the freedom to meet those expectations, however works best for you. So that's, it still sounds pretty open. So when you think about these, are you, when you look at an organization, for example, who is implementing this, um, is it an approach of how they organize teams? Is it how you define jobs? Because I think a lot of people, when they hear that, even the explanation that provided some more clarity, still, I think there may be those people who hear the ringing bells in their heads of, well, if I get to make all the decisions on my work, it's just going to be chaos. And if more, less likely they think that about themselves and maybe their coworkers and colleagues, is it just a free for all? So if you can maybe speak to that a little bit of how does a system that is all around putting the power in the hands of the people doing the work, how does that work in an organized system? Uh, so th- the easiest way to think about it is work, if you're going toward the self-managed route, all it means is that work should look the exact same as how you go about your day-to-day life outside of work. Most people feel like they have that they are completely self-managed in their adult lives. They have a lot of autonomy, a lot of choice, a lot of freedom in how they do things, but there are also hundreds and thousands of laws limiting what everybody can do. However, most people don't think about that. They just think about the the day-to-day. So for example, you know, your uh, electric bill, there are rules and contracts that you sign when it comes to that, but they say pay 100 bucks a month if you want power. And they don't care if you pay on the 1st or the 30th of the month. They don't care if you pay by cash or check. 
and everybody does it in a different way and it works. And that is exactly how, how simple work should be. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, if you look at the traditional model, a lot of times we just follow in the footsteps of how decision-making was done in the past. I think a lot of how we've built organizations over the past, let's say even hundred, hundred plus years has been around the idea of kind of like this assembly line. And therefore there's a lot of specialization. There's a lot of like running things up the chain, frontline does the work, but the decisions are made elsewhere. And I love this idea of putting the autonomy in, and that example of paying your bills is a very good illustration of that, of look, as long as I get it done, does it really matter? As long as I'm, you know, within the bounds of quote the law, or in this case, the company culture and values and things like that, does it really matter how I get it done as long as it gets done? So I think that's great. I'm curious to hear your experience because so I, I, when we were working at Zappos and Zappos decided to explore holacracy, and I'd love to hear also a little bit around um, holacracy, what's the difference there? I mean, you and I have talked about the difference between holacracy versus self-management, self-organization. So we'd love to hear that, but also, I am curious to hear your experience working with other companies. I did some consulting, specifically Holacracy Consulting with other companies after I left Zappos, but I know you've been doing it longer and probably with a wider group. So I would love to hear what's been your experience of, you know, what organizations who are making this transition, either the challenges they're facing or some of the things that are really beneficial, any of those things that you've kind of seen that stand out in your experience doing some of this work on your own. So First, to tackle the difference on kind of the, the line between holacracy and self-management, holacracy is just one system of how a company can become self-managed. There are a lot of people that use holacracy and self-management interchangeably because where holacracy has really succeeded is it kind of popularized self-management. It I don't know if it was incredible marketing or good timing, but uh, <laughs> it is by far the most popular, the most widely used, the most uh, well-known system throughout the world. But ultimately, holacracy is not self-management. Holacracy is one tool, one method of helping an organization become self-managed. So it's really, holacracy is just the the Kleenex to the tissue paper of self-management uh, is, uh, you know, people kind of use it interchangeably, but it is technically just one branded version of that. But ultimately, where even though I've worked with a wide variety of companies, many of which, you know, haven't necessarily used Holacracy, most people come to me because they were interested in Holacracy and in some way, shape or form, because I have so much experience with it coming from Zappos. In almost every case, it's it's very rare that I, when I'm working with a client, I help them with their holacracy practice, so to speak. And it's more so just, okay, ignoring the, the system and the method, what, what are some of the key concepts of self-management as a whole? And let's focus on that. Because the one thing that every company I've ever seen using holacracy, they all have the exact same challenges no matter what the size, no matter where in the world they are located, even going to Holacracy Conference, everyone I've spoken to has the exact same problems. And so to me, that's a system thing. What are some of those problems that they're calling out? Like, what are you seeing out there? People that are, what are they struggling? So probably the biggest one, and you'll see this a little bit with every aspect of not just self-management, but organizational change in general. 
but Holacracy specifically, it was built in a way that it could be applied to any type of organization. So there are these rules that no matter what crazy what if scenario you can think of, there's a solution in the rules somewhere. But because of that, it is extremely complicated. Uh, it's it's often you know kind of joked as you have to have a law degree to read it and understand it. <laughs> Very few people in any organization actually know what the so-called holacracy constitution, what that entails, what all the rules are. So mm-hmm. just like in real life, most people don't know all the rules. They know the basics. Okay, don't steal my neighbor's car and don't set stuff on fire that isn't mine. Uh, and the rest <laughs> I'll, I'll figure out. And then when you need the details or when a big problem comes up, you go to a lawyer because they know all the ins and outs. They know how to use the system. They know rules that you never knew existed. And ultimately, that's what holacracy feels like as well. There's far simpler systems out there. Even if you don't use a system and just kind of approach a couple concepts that exist in self-management in general, that's usually a better way to go in my experience. Yeah, it's the interesting thing to me is, and even just as you described it, I think it reflects that, is I think most businesses, if you think about a startup, a lot of them start out in this even if they don't know it, instinctively they start off in a self-organized fashion because they're being scrappy, people are doing multiple jobs, you're really just focusing on the things that you can do in front of you to bring things to life. And I think most organizations who have gone from startup mode into growth mode or into like, you know, hitting our stride, what they often do is they look at how do I scale? And that's what takes them out of startup mode. But the thing I like about these now self-organized systems that we're seeing more of, holacracy being one of them, sociocracy being another, and, and other ways of organizing, right? We're not just thinking about those platforms only, but these give you a blueprint of how to scale what you were kind of instinctively already doing at the beginning, which I really love. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. So what's, you mentioned that you have been in a lot of these conversations where really someone comes to you and off the bat, it's not that they're already in it and looking for assistance, but they're thinking about doing some elements of it. So how do they know, or what recommendations can you give someone for if they're thinking about trying a self-organized system? How do you know that it might be the right avenue, right? What are the things that they should expect? What are the things that this will help? What are the things that this could potentially hurt in the long run because switching like you said change management change change is going to have ripple effects regardless so i'm curious to know how does someone make an informed decision on is this the right move for my organization or my team i think there's a few things to consider because on the surface if you're just looking at you know concepts of self-management and many other pieces that are kind of part of it whether it's you know organizational development or better employee experiences all these things kind of have a little bit of overlap. And what you see in study after study after study is that giving employees more autonomy, making them feel more safe, treating them better while they're at work, all of these things lead to more innovation and more profits, more benefit in all kinds of ways, less turnover. So on paper, it's nothing but beneficial. And I've never met anyone who would come right out and say, no, I don't want that for my business. Right. However, as with any massive change, there's a lot of risk that goes into it. No matter how good it is, I've I've seen the 
in my opinion, like the worst self-management systems go great for a company because they implemented it very well and effectively, carefully. And I've seen great systems and changes go terribly because they tried to rush through it. They didn't really you know, understand anything. And, and so in my experience, the implementation of a change has always had more impact than whatever change they were doing itself. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to asking whether or not you should start this, in my opinion, I would say, at least for a moment, put down all the TED Talks, put down all the books you might be reading that are making you think, oh, well, some organization is doing this. I want to do that too. And I would instead just look at your organization, what makes it unique? What are the specific problems that you want to solve or the things that you want to improve? Like, do you want to be a self-managed organization because it's great PR and it makes you stand out? Or do you want your employees to have more autonomy and room to make mistakes without worrying about it? One of those things, that, that second one is far more tangible and you can put processes in place for that. You can build them unique to your organization because there are a lot of companies out there with any change, self-management especially, that they'll, they'll read the latest book and say, wow, I want to be one of these you know, 10 super famous companies without realizing exactly what that means. They're going to have to completely change so much of how they're working, how they lead and how they structure. Um, so I would just say, sit down and think, what changes do you really want? And are you willing to do whatever it might take to achieve those things? I, I think that's a good call out. And it, I mean, it just goes back to what you mentioned before of how invested are you, right? Are you looking for a quick turnaround? Because if so, this really, and, and this has been my experience, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, is this actually changes, it challenges the way we have been taught to think about companies, to way, the way we think about organizing our teams, the way we think about progression, the way we think about compensation, the way we think about our titles, right? Everything that has been ingrained in us over our entire lifetime around how companies operate, uh, this really does, it can throw a wrench in the gears and it causes you to reimagine some of those things that we've taken for granted for a long time. I mean, even something as simple as how do you hire someone for a job that may change the day they get there, right? Because you're in this self-organized system where they're defining the role kind of on the fly. And how do you onboard someone for that? How do you prepare someone for that? How do you hire someone for that? How do you pay someone for that? All are really interesting challenges that I, I saw play out firsthand when you and I were at Zappos. But I think beyond that, in the groups that I've seen, if you're not invested for a long time, right? If it's like you mentioned, if it's more of a branding exercise versus we truly want to make some change, it's going to be a nightmare for everybody involved because that's all they're going to focus on is what's, what's not going the way that it used to go. What am I missing? What am I losing? And it's really hard to see what they're going to be gaining because all they have to look forward to is like this pain that they're going through right now. And so I think that you calling out the long-term investment at the beginning, being part of that with the expectation that you're not going to be able to do this in three to six months, maybe even not even in a year, right? It's going to be multiple years. It's going to, you're going to hit roadblocks. If you're not willing to commit for that long, then you're probably just looking at what small things can I change instead of making this big thing? Is that kind of what you would say as well? 
Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say kind of a, a few things on that. One is that kind of, as you mentioned, a, a lot of where I particularly focus when I work with clients is there's not one, you know, there's not one system that I implement. There's not one method that I do. It's kind of my main goal was I wanted to make this whole process convenient because every article you read, everything you would see would talk about, you know, a lot of them say, oh, you know, you're going to have to unlearn everything you've ever learned and change your whole way of looking. Everyone's going to have to gain new mindsets and this will be a two-year process. And for me specifically, people already have hard enough time with change. And if that's how they're introduced to it of, oh yeah, this is going to completely upend everything you've ever known uh, and it may get better in a few years, people are just going to fight the change because they don't want to do that. And so kind of where I focus and where I think uh, a lot of people in this area and any organizational change could benefit is how do you break that down and make it more convenient? How do you say, hey, don't worry about implementing an entire company-wide process because one, there's way more risks. And two, I think there's a lot of, kind of as I mentioned at the beginning, I think there's a lot of companies out there that love the idea of being self-managed, but there's way too much risk in completely uprooting everything. So what if you do one little change at a time, you know, implement little risk-free pieces and bit by bit go there so that it's a long-term sustainable way that doesn't scare anybody, that doesn't completely change your life. You're like, oh, maybe, you know, something is a little bit different when we have meetings now, but that's it. And kind of approach it that way. And I think that's a much more long-term sustainable way especially for companies that aren't startups that they're they've already been existing. So everything's going to have to change. I think that approach is far more efficient. Yeah. I like that. I mean, and and it's, it's how we deal best with change typically at the human level too, right? You, if you've ever tried to start dieting and exercising at the same time, chances are that combination of doing those many new things is going to be really hard and you're probably not going to sustain the change. Right. But if you just change one habit, get good at that habit, then build on that with the next one, then work on the diet. Now work on working out. Like I'm going to walk 20 minutes today. Next day is going to be 25. I think that approach works well in business and at the human level. So I love that. You mentioned some of these small things that people can do. And obviously knowing that this is probably going to be case by case, but I would love to hear if you have any suggestions on what are maybe some of the small ways teams can experiment with self-organization without fully committing to the system? What are some of the things, the practices, the processes, or anything like that that you can throw out there that maybe someone can try on at least a piece of it before they do like a major overhaul? So even though every time I meet with a client, I figure out what their needs are, and then I kind of come up with a custom plan for them. It's always, you know, the idea is always different, but Every single client I've ever worked with, it always winds up starting with the same thing. And that is clarifying their job expectations and their policies and, and things like that. Because in my experience, probably 90, 95% of problems that have ever popped up are due to some misunderstanding in the work that needs to be done. Who's doing it, how it needs to get done, what happens if it doesn't get done, and, and things like that. And it goes back to what I mentioned earlier with my definition of self-management being understanding what's expected of you. So you have the freedom to do that and equating it back to real life. Thinking about, uh, you know, most people feel self-managed when they drive, you can drive what you want, where you want, when you want, but would you like to live in a world 
where there were no traffic laws. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of the idea is clarifying that most people, I mean, how, how most of us feel about traffic aside, uh, <laughs> in, in general, we, as we feel as safe as we can because everyone knows for the most part what the rules of the road are. And, and so clarifying job expectations solves so many problems before they ever come up, makes it easier to hold people accountable because there's, there's an agreement uh, when you're building those expectations. And then it just gives people a lot more confidence and security in their own work because you can go home at the end of the day and say, oh, did I complete my job? A, B, C, yep, I did. I have nothing to worry about. I don't have to worry about you know, my, my boss saying I did it wrong or I didn't do something I knew I was supposed, I didn't know I was supposed to do and stuff like that. I, I think uh, a question that pops into my mind for people who might be listening, I think there are probably a lot of people out there who think, well, the job description is really clear. And you and I both, having seen both sides, uh, have had experience where that's not the case. And I think each of us has probably even had, a, anybody who's listening has probably had a job at some point in their life where uh, they thought they were clear on expectations and suddenly the job changed or someone came to them and there was a misalignment in those expectations. So are there things that you could suggest, like if I still think my job recommendation or my job requirements or my position outline is clear, are there some things that I can do just to take a quick look at it and see if it's actually as clear as it could be? Uh, yeah, so it's kind of a few things you can do. One is looking at your expectations, kind of playing devil's advocate with it. Come up with different what-if scenarios, not necessarily of if you were to try to take advantage of that work or somebody else were, but maybe there was just some, you know, maybe like a misunderstanding. Like if, if your job was to bring food to the office for everyone, would you, if you brought only a basket of oranges on paper, you've done your job, but would you probably get in trouble for that? If so, then you need to clarify your job expectations. How much food? What kind of food? Does it matter? So, so part of it is just coming up with these scenarios and figuring out like, where could I get in trouble? Just from the sense, this isn't to say you want to live in a, in a paranoid state, quite the opposite. If I know what my job is, and I know as long as I do that, even if I misunderstand what other people expect of it or anything else, but that I won't get in trouble for it, uh, then that gives me so much security in, in my own work and feeling good about that. And the other, an easier thing to do if you have the benefit of working in an environment that allows this, if there's other people that have to do the same job as you, so you all have the same expectations, and whoever is responsible for holding you accountable, so your manager, for example, sit down with them and look at an expectation and have everybody, like, for example, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, you can just talk, but if it's a group, write it down. Say, what's this expectation mean to you? Have everyone write it down. And in a lot of cases, you'll see that everyone, including the manager, has a different answer. And what that means right. is everybody is doing different work for different reasons. And you people, everyone on that team could get in trouble for not doing the right job, even if they think they're doing the right job. And all these things are just because there's different understandings. And so I'd say go into it with the mindset of nothing is obvious. Common sense doesn't exist. And there is nothing that anybody should do or know. It has to be explicit and it has to be objective. And the only way to know if that's the case 
is to sit down with the people that need to do the work and make sure you and them have the exact same understanding. I can see the natural next question being something you've probably heard a lot, which is, well, what's that? It's the fine line between trusting someone to make the right choices and giving them too specific of instructions. So do you have any recommendations for how to find that balance? Absolutely. And I think part of that clear expectations is also clear policies and processes. So the simplest one, for example, is what do consequences and accountability and you know, punishment, for lack of a better word, look like in your organization? At most organizations, technically HR can do you know, whatever they want. They don't... And, a lot of states in the U.S., for example, they don't need any reason to, to fire anyone at a moment's notice. And per company policies, there's always gray area and wiggle room for one-off situations just in case, you know, there is one person causing a little more trouble. And, but the problem with that is everybody fears that they may be that one-off. And so they're going to be very careful. They're not going to want to take risks. Whereas if you also have an extremely explicit and objective and clear you know, termination process, for example, if you say here's our, you know, six step process for getting coached and written up and, and, and fired. And at any point you will know where you're at in this process and every single thing will go through this exact same process. If you have something like that, then you can approach these other job expectations more easily because you can say, okay, we'll give you this expectation and trust, you know, that it's done well. If there's a misunderstanding, and you technically on paper did the job right, even though it wasn't what was intended, then that's our fault. We'll clarify that job expectation. But if that job expectation wasn't met very clearly, if it said, bring lunch to the office and you forget to bring anything to the office one day, you've clearly not done that job. Okay, you're on strike one, five more and you're out of here, but you know exactly where you're at. You know exactly what caused it. And so having very clear processes, it's not just for the job expectations, but you know, other policies and processes, essentially everyone needs to feel confident in knowing where they're at. And again, going back to, you know, real life, for example, when it comes to paying the power bill, if they say pay a hundred dollars a month, the consequence is if we don't get a hundred dollars by the end of the month, we shut your power off. Every time I've ever seen somebody's power get shut off or, or my power was shut off, it was either random power outage or most of the time I'd be like, oh, is it the is it the 31st? Oh, okay, I didn't pay a bill. I know exactly what happens. I'm not right, you know, I I'm less I'm not necessarily mad about it. I'm not confused and bewildered. I don't feel like somebody stabbed me in the back. You know. <laughs> yeah. And and you so knew I understand this was it. coming. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that that's part of what that process should look like as well. I know I have to pay a hundred bucks. However, I manage to do that in the way that I live and what works best for me, great. And if not, I know what the consequence is. And again, that's how simple things can be in an organization. Yeah. I, I, one of my favorite things that you mentioned is just like this clarity that is created. And I think if, if I'm hearing you right, one of the things people can do is just maybe look for some of that more vague language in their, in their, just, their job descriptions and what they're looking at in front of them. Because if you say increase, by how much? More, how much more? right? Um, things like that. Managing this. What does managing actually look like? Get clear on those things. I think one word that comes to mind for me is measurability and not saying that every job has to have the, the numbers laid out, 
but it should be something that to your point, Paul, I, I can tell if I am actually doing this thing in the way it's, it's been presented to me versus I'm having to do a lot of interpretation here on what this actually means. And I think if it's measurable, if you make it so that it's measurable on the outcome that's expected, then chances are, even if you don't have to call out that specific measurement, I'm much more clear on the expectation of me in that role versus if I'm just left to my own devices and interpretations and implicit expectations and, oh, well, you're the marketing person, so we just figured you would take this on, right? Getting clear, setting those boundaries, because I think that's another piece that's not really talked about as causing issues. And I think it's one of the benefits of when you create this clarity of what is expected, it also helps to kind of set clearer boundaries of what is not expected or what shouldn't be expected of people. And so I think it's, I think it's a great conversation and a great exercise to have. So great recommendation. I know we're coming up on time here and you and I can talk about this for hours on end. And, but if you've heard any of our previous episodes, you know, we call una casita mas, and that just means one more little thing. And so is there a recommendation that you have, whether it's a resource, a parting thought, anything like that, that you can give to our listeners who may be looking at that next step that they want to take in this process and this journey along the lines of self-management, self-organization? Uh, yeah, I'd kind of recommend two different things come to mind initially. One is reach out to other people who have experienced self-management, ideally people who have been employees of these different companies and the best people you can talk to if you can find them are the people who essentially have no stake in the game no reason to make it sound better than it is so you get a real honest answer uh, a lot mm -hmm. of times you know understandably you know people have to pay their bills so a lot of times if you talk to consultants or certain business owners you know they have to make sure the pr looks good and the thing they're selling looks good so there might be a little more incentive to to say, oh no, this works, there's never a problem, it'll change your life. That, that was something I experienced for years anytime I wanted to talk about it, it was just, it sounded too good to be true and so I was super skeptical. Um, oh. So if you can find somebody that, that you trust would give you a willing answer on the pros and the cons, what worked, what didn't, I think that can help you make that decision a lot. As well as the other piece is, if you do, if you do need help in it, I mean, there's a lot of resources out there, a lot of books, TED talks, things of the sort that can give you some things to think about. But I think a, a lot of people, you know, benefit from obviously having outside help, having more experienced people come in. And I'd say find people that are flexible enough to make the process convenient for you. If it doesn't feel convenient, you're going to struggle. You're going to not want to do certain things. You're going to wonder if you even have the budget for it, things of the sort. So find, you know, a, a consultant that is flexible enough on the price that you can afford it, that, that you think will be good for you is flexible enough on the system. Maybe you don't want holacracy or some other, you know, sociocracy or a name system. Maybe you want something more unique as well as flexible on how they're going to implement because there are ways to, as I mentioned earlier, to do this in a completely risk-free way. So rather than uprooting your entire organization, changing this entire system, how do you do one tiny little thing at a time that will cost you almost nothing, that won't affect how you're doing day-to-day -day business, uh, that there's nothing that could go wrong to any detrimental degree? Um, 
And so no matter how much security and certainty and risk avoidance you need to feel comfortable doing it, there is somebody or some company out there that's willing to do it in exactly that way. Try to find them because then you'll at least be taking some steps forward rather than looking at all these options saying, oh, that's too scary. No, it seems too much and, and never try it at all. Right. The, the overwhelm can sometimes take over the experience and we forget that we don't have to do it all at once. We can maybe do it piece by piece. So great call outs, great information. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you taking the time out today to share with us. I, uh, something I'm very passionate about more organizations experiencing and more specifically the employees experiencing putting the power into their own hands. So always great to talk. Looking forward to our next conversation, whenever that might be on these topics and more. So thank you again, Paul. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me.